This is Live Well Talk on Spine Surgery. I'm Dr. Dustin Arnold, Chief Medical Officer at United Point Health St. Luke's Hospital, Cedar Rapids. Joining in today is spine surgeon, Dr. Joshua Barber, to discuss innovations that he's bringing to the community with his uh, fellowship training in spine surgery. Additionally, I'd like to welcome Dr. Barber to the podcast and also note that if our alumni institution, Co-College, should come up on the podcast, you may simply refer to it as the Harvard of the Midwest, and the listeners will know what you're talking about. I've I've briefed him on that, Josh. That's perfect. First, kind of just go over some conditions that lead to spine surgery, then we'll get into what you're doing that's innovative. Sure. Uh, so when people think spine surgery, a lot of times they think back, uh, and really it involves neck and back. Um, so, so when patients come to see me, it's often for neck or back pain, um, often with or without arm or leg pain. And I'm seeing patients really from the ages of five to 95. So, th so there's really no, really no barrier in spectrum uh, overall for patients. One thing that I think some of the listeners might uh, have residual questions about, uh, do they put rods in for scoliosis in young women anymore? They do, but there, there are other options uh, nowadays. So scoliosis surgery in the past was this this big gruesome thing with uh, screws and rods and something called a Harrington rod, which is usually just hooks and rods. Now there's really two options, two decent options for run-of-the-mill scoliosis, and that is um, the traditional screws and rods, which is which is honestly the gold standard. That's what's been time-proven. That's what's been modified, adjusted, improved over time. What what has been relatively new in the past few years, and actually UC Davis or my fellowship is one of the six centers that started this. It's called VBT or vertebral body tethering. It's a fusionless spine correction for scoliosis. Where they, uh, it sounds a little bit more morbid than it is, but they kind of go in through the chest with a scope, kind of like a knee scope or a, a hip scope or a shoulder scope, and put in essentially screws that have a a, a tethered cord on it. And what they do is they partially correct the scoliosis um, with this kind of tether technique. And as the patient grows, uh, they kind of auto-correct themselves over time. Um, and then really long-term, there's, there's, no, there's no restrictions. There's no fusion. There's no rods. They can, we, have, we have Division I college wrestlers that have gotten this procedure done, whereas in the olden days, the screws and rod technique, there's, there's no way a patient like that could wrestle or compete. So it's basically orthodonture for the spine. Essentially, yeah. That's, that's yeah. the wow. that's easiest way to think about it. That is cool. Well, hey, let's talk about some of the techniques uh, that, you, that you're bringing to the community. Uh, it's kind of some exciting stuff uh, with your fellowship training. And I'd like you to kind of just give us an overview of the, the, what you're offering. So really, it's just a, it's a comprehensive profile. It's probably the easiest way, way uh, to say it. I'd say the majority of spine surgeons, regardless where you're at a fellowship, where you're training, even what decade you were trained in, can do surgery through the back, and that's called the posterior approach. That's the traditional incision down the middle of the back, uh, where you kind of open things up, see everything, put screws in through the back. I'd say almost every spine surgeon does that. And does it work well? Absolutely. It's it's kind of the gold standard. I'd say over the last five to 10 years, what's evolved is, is different approaches and different techniques. And the reason these have come about is going in through the back, you essentially have to go through a lot of muscle, and it leads to a lot of longer inpatient stay, higher blood loss, higher complications. So someone 10 to 15 years ago started thinking, how can we do this better? And, and that's going in through different approaches such as the front and the side. And I'd say less commonly, those are being utilized as a comprehensive profile by, by spine surgeons. 
Um, so I think you having those techniques, which often lead to shorter hospital stay, less blood loss, safer procedure overall, essentially based on literature, the same long term outcome, but a, a better, easier, faster recovery with better short and long term results. And that's kind of going in through the front and the side and kind of uh, bringing those into the equation as well, in addition to going through the back. And I know listeners will know uh, Dr. Cray has been on for vascular surgery. Uh, and he he partners with you on some of these, correct? Uh, correct. The, the procedure going through the front called the ALIF. Uh, it, it's a procedure that's honestly been done for 20 or 30 years, but it's been improved over time. It's I, I'd consider it similar. If you think about the old school way, they used to treat an appendix. Uh, to take an appendix out used to be a long midline incision, big open approach. Uh, and now they're doing it through tiny poke holes and scopes. Yeah. And I'd, I'd say the similar thing has evolved where the, the end game is the same, but we're doing it in a way that leads to less muscle damage, less blood loss, less risk, and shorter hospital stay. I think Dr. Cray and I so far have partnered in on doing somewhere between five and 10 of these, what's called ALIF procedures. And so far with patients, uh, our average length of stay is less than a day. Whereas that procedure done 10, 15, 20 years ago, that's, that's usually three to five days in the hospital. Okay, that was gonna be my next question. How does this compare to recovery? And outcomes are the same. Yes, yeah, long-term outcomes. Looking at looking at patients through traditional techniques versus now, the the long-term outcomes are slightly better now because there's less collateral damage. Interesting. So, can you kind of run through? Because I think this is important to understand the difference between uh, spinal stenosis from osteoarthritis of the spine or degenerative disease versus foraminal or other disc disease, and and how you can treat for one and the other is not so much. Sure. So, so uh, the way I explain it is there's, there's really two different places nerves can get pinched, and that's as they run up and down the middle of the spine, uh, the spinal column, or as they exit out to the side. I'd say spinal stenosis is the most common diagnosis I see individuals for, and that's crowding of the nerves as they travel up and up and down the middle of the spine. And those, those symptoms are unique to the other in that spinal stenosis or lumbar spinal stenosis often leads to leg heaviness, weakness, clumsiness as you get up and walk. Often often patients you see draped over a grocery cart in the grocery store because as you lean forward, it increases that space. So that's stenosis. That's where as the, as the nerves are traveling down before they exit the spinal co- column, that's what stenosis is. I'd say what most people think of and often the lay, the lay term is called sciatica is a, a pinched nerve or a, a disc herniation causing pinching of the nerves as they exit out to the side. It's a little bit different of a presentation uh, in the fact that it's usually one leg or the other, and it's a very specific distribution down the leg. Often patients will come in and I just say, can you draw me a map down your leg where the pain goes? And they'll describe an exact path. They'll go from buttock down the leg to the front part of the leg to the big toe or top part of the foot. And that's often as the nerves are being pinched because it's hitting a specific nerve rather than all the nerves that go past that level. Okay. Just from conversations with you, and experience pain is one thing but when you start to have weakness that's that's another thing as far as a red flag correct so so pain despite being uncomfortable for the patient and and the surgeon wanting to take all that away right you can often treat pain without surgery i say the majority of patients if you look at neck pain arm pain leg pain and back pain we can treat two-thirds or more without surgery successfully with either complete resolution or improvement to a tolerable level. When we start getting into severe pain with weakness, 
that's kind of a different story that 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 tends to change the pace of of how we treat this instead of a let's let's slow down and see if we can get you better without surgery it, it is a, it's usually a pretty uh pretty abbreviated trip to a surgical solution and the the reason is is that that nobody has has a magic eight ball that t that tells us when nerve damage or weakness becomes permanent and that there is a time point um, that with severe nerve compression and especially weakness, there is a transition point where some of that damage becomes permanent. So, so the best option for long-term recovery and short-term recovery is to get that pressure off as soon as we can. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, so if somebody needed, they need a referral from their doctor to see you, um, but how is there a just call the general referral line for a PCI and and set that up as a primary care provider. So often, often yes. From a primary care standpoint, uh, we often require a referral for certain patients. Um, we we're we're allowing self referrals for patients with weakness or that have seen a prior surgeon that are seeking a second opinion that, okay. that may feel uncomfortable talking to that surgeon about seeing somebody else. Right. So th there is a medium for kind of more acute issues like you've already alluded to, such as weakness or if bowels or bladders suddenly start um, becoming an issue, there are things that can fast track, but for the most part, yes, um, through your primary care physician or calling the PCI uh, main line. All right. Well, this is great information, and uh, thank you for joining me. But one last question. Why did you go into spine surgery versus other things? That's, uh, that's, a, that's a difficult and convoluted road. Uh, the, the short and easy answer is it, it, the, the anatomy and the patients, uh, I felt like, were a puzzle. Uh, I, I felt like a lot of fields of orthopedics, uh, and I'll backtrack and say, I initially went into med school and residency thinking definitely not spine. Uh, I think my exposure early on in med school uh, was not a positive one for spine. It just didn't seem like that's the field that I would, I would um, fit into very well. And as I went into residency, went through other specialties, spine surgery is one that not, there's not a single case you can take off. And, and for me, in my mind, and this is not to downplay any other specialties, let's let's take uh, joint replacement, for example. Uh, if I feel like that's doing a similar procedure in, in a different way, kind of over and over. I feel like for spine surgery, for me, I love the surgeries, love the anatomy. I tried to not like it. Um, we rotated through it our first, fourth, second, and fourth years of residency. Um, and I tried to convince myself I didn't like it the first two times I went through. And then... As I had gone through everything else, it's, it's just what made the most sense to me. Love the procedures, couldn't get enough of them, uh, and the, I just I love the anatomy. That's that's outstanding. Well, we're glad you're here. You're doing a great job, and I'm I'm, I'm now you're alumni of the Harvard of the, the Midwest, but also you are uh, doing a fine job. Once again, this is Dr. Barber. Uh, he was joining us today to talk about spine surgery. If you want to learn more about Dr. Barber and surgery, uh, spine surgery, contact Physicians Clinic of Iowa. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Live Well Talk On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your family, friends, neighbors, strangers about our podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. Until next time, be well.